0: Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, April 7th, 2023. And it's Good Friday. It's the most holy time of the year for us Christians. And as my mother always says, Easter is the most joyous time of the year. So for all this darkness that Jesus went through, it culminates in victory, which is a joyous time for Christians. And remember that. And how ironic it is that in this most holy time of the year for us, it was maybe 10 days ago that A transsexual shot up a Christian school and killed a number of people, including three children. And Christianity is the number one target of these transsexuals. And the Bolshevik Democratic Party has embraced these radical left militants as it meets their political needs. Only God can determine what sex you are, not man. And this is fundamentally contrary to the radical left as man through so-called politicized science can determine the sex of a person. And Christians do not believe it. Now, we can take a lot of what happened 2,000 years ago and apply it to today. Now, think about it. At the time, it didn't look too good in the eyes of the disciples and Jesus' followers when he was taken away and crucified. But three days later, he rose And with with lack of a better word, he just stuck it right in the face of Satan. And like my mom said, Easter is the happiest day of the year. And let's take a look at how this affects us today. Now look, Christians are the target of the Bolsheviks, the radical left, and there are some nasty things that have been happening to Christians for a number of years. But at the end, we will have a joyous end to this. We are going to win. But. You have to fight back. Christians have to fight back. And with that said, I just want to go to a clip, and it's uh, from North Carolina State Representative Tricia Cotham. She left the Democratic Party this week and joined the Republican Party. So let's go to the clip, and she'll tell you the reasons why she left.
1: This is something I've really thought long and hard about since I've entered this chamber in January. I had served previously for um, 10 years and then took a break and came back with the intent, as always, to be a public servant, to really be a stateswoman, do greater good for all of the great state of North Carolina. I noticed some pretty big changes in the Democratic Party right when I got here, and it was very disturbing. Um, I caught a lot of flack over the fact that on my car and on various things, I display the American flag, that I talk a lot about my importance and belief in my faith, and I've used Jesus several times when I've led our chamber in house prayer. I was told you can never trust a dim who wears camo. And just this week called an ammosexual. But that is very much absolutely out of everything our country stands for and what I believe.
0: God didn't tell us to just let this happen. God wants us to fight back. He wants to fight us to fight back against transsexuals, the Bolsheviks that are in America today. And at the end, we will have a joyous time. Don't let bad things happen to you, Christians. You have to push back with the knowledge that we win in the end. And it's not about, oh, we win in the end because we're all Christians, we're going to be saved, and we're going to go to heaven. No, I'm talking about we win in the end because we saved this country. All right, let's talk about the Trump indictment. Now, I read the indictment, went over it several times, and it's a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it should be an embarrassment to brag that he would put something out there to go after a former president of the United States. Now, Trump was charged on 34 counts— and these 34 accounts surround 11 invoices that Michael Cohen sent to Trump. Now, Cohen was Trump's attorney, and as attorneys do, when they're on retainer, they bill you once a month, and you pay the bill. So Michael Cohen sent 11 invoices, and along with the 11 invoices, he sent 12 vouchers. I, I, I don't know why he sent 12, but you should have a voucher associated with every invoice now what a voucher is is that it is a testing by the attorney that yeah I perform this work and I'm billing you appropriately and then you have 11 checks that Trump had cut to Michael Cohen so you got 11 invoices 12 vouchers and 11 checks that totals 34 so Bragg is charging him on 34 counts based on just invoices 11 invoices, 11 checks, and 12 vouchers that are associated with the 11 invoices. This is absolutely ridiculous. And that's it. That's it. It was copy-paste. It was essentially copy-paste in all 34 counts. It would just fill in the blanks. This invoice, next count, this invoice, next count, this invoice. Then it went on and on. This voucher, that voucher, this voucher. And then this check, this check, this check. And it told thirty-four. And you know what he was doing. He was just trying to get out there that thirty-four Trump was Trump was indicted on thirty-four counts. Oh my God, it's the end of the world. He's the worst human being. Well, all Breg doing is just splitting a natural accounting process into 34 charges. And that's it. The indictment was so vague. And then he's trying to make a case. Well, so apparently in New York law, it's illegal to fudge paperwork if it's part of some underlying Criminality, but he doesn't tell you what the crime is. So, all these 34 counts, all of these 11 invoices and 11 checks that Trump cut are part of some conspiracy. They were fudged accounting. But, Bragg doesn't tell you what the underlying criminality is, he just leaves it out. And with that said, I want to go to a clip because he's asked for that by one of the reporters. So, let's go to this clip at his press conference. And then we'll come back and discuss.
2: And they were done to conceal another crime, but the indictment does not specifically say what those crimes were. We are assuming perhaps that they might be election-related. I'm wondering if you can specify what laws were also broken.
3: Right. So let me, let me say as an initial matter that the indictment doesn't specify that because the law does not so require. Uh, in my remarks, I mentioned a couple of laws, which I will highlight uh, again now. Uh, The the, the first is New York State election law, which makes it a crime uh, to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. Uh, I further indicated a a number of unlawful means, including more additional false statements, including statements that were planned to be made to tax authorities. Uh, I also noted the federal election law cap on contribution limits. But why weren't there those crimes
2: charged?
3: What's any charge with those crimes? Well, we, we, I'm not going to go into our delivery process on what was brought. The charges that were brought were the ones that were brought. The evidence in the law uh, is, is the basis for those decisions.
0: So the reporter asked him, well, what are the underlying crimes? And Bragg's response is, well, I don't have to put them in. And then he goes on and he talks about, well, it could have been a violation of New York state election law and federal election law. And the reporter comes back and says, well, why didn't you put it in there? Because it's weak. That's why I didn't put it in there. It's all about just getting the indictment, get getting Donald Trump in front of a jury in New York City. Now, I don't know why Bragg brings up state election law, because this is not a state election. This was an election for President of the United States. It was a federal election. And then if there was any crime, the FEC would have looked at it which they did, and they said nothing to see here. I think the Department of Justice also looked at it and said nothing to see here. And Trey Trainer, a current FEC commissioner, came out yesterday and said, look, we looked at it, there's nothing to see here. Bregg's crime does not exist. And that's all he's trying to get. He's just trying to get this case in front of a majority because I agree with Alan Dershowitz. If you put Trump in front of a New York City Jury, they will find him guilty of something. I think New York City was the most lopsided uh, win for Biden of any city in the country, and I think that's including San Francisco too, if I'm not mistaken. And that's all he's looking to do. Just get—I can throw out a weak case, just get Trump in front of a jury in New York City, and I'll win. That's their strategy. So I've heard that the Trump's attorney going to look to, you know, get the case dismissed, change the venue. But this is what they have to do. Now, with that said, I want to switch to a 60-minute interview of Mark Pomerantz. Now, Mark Pomerantz was an attorney that was working on this case. And when Bragg originally came out and said, we're not going to look into indicting Trump, he quit. A guy that was working pro bono, he hated Trump so much, he was willing to work for free, essentially, with a New York City attorney office in order to get Trump. And when Bragg initially came out and said, ah, nope, we're not going to indict, he quit. And then he writes a book on how bad Trump is. So I want to play a clip. And you tell me if this guy Pomerantz isn't spoiling the jury base in New York City. He's just indicative of the mindset that New York City residents have against Trump. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss.
2: It sounds like you're saying that his empire is built on lies. His empire was built on lies. I am saying that. He came out of retirement in February 2021 to join then-district attorney Cyrus Vance's investigation. He says his team interviewed dozens of people, including some of Donald Trump's bankers, appraisers, accountants, and his former attorney, Michael Cohen. Mark Pomerantz said the evidence he gathered persuaded the former district attorney, Cyrus Vance, to authorize presenting the evidence to a grand jury to seek an indictment against Donald Trump. In January of 2022, Alvin Bragg, who campaigned on a promise to hold powerful New Yorkers accountable, was sworn in as the new Manhattan district attorney. And according to Pomerantz, the next month stopped his team from seeking an indictment of Mr. Trump. What did he want you to do, slow down? Did he ever say that? He did not say to slow down. He never said, I don't want to be rushed. There's not enough time. I need more time to study the facts. He said, okay, you need a decision. You'll get a decision. And the decision was no, you're not going forward. Pomerantz and the office's general counsel, Kerry Dunn, promptly resigned.
0: So Pomerantz just got himself subpoenaed by the House Judiciary Committee, led by Jim Jordan. A subpoena. They're calling him in. They want to know everything surrounding this case, and they want him to talk about his book. And this is what I mean by pushback. This is what the Republicans have to do. They have to push back on this level. And I'm going to talk a few minutes about some other things the Republicans are doing. But Jordan is leading the charge here. And while we're on the subject, I wanted to talk about one thing that Bragg brought up in his press conference. And he was asked, well, you know, Mr. Bragg, you initially decided you weren't going to prosecute. What changed your mind? And let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss.
3: Uh, your predecessor took a hard look at this case and decided not to charge it. Federal prosecutors took a hard look at this case and decided not to charge it. Do you believe you have new evidence that led you to decide to charge this, or why now? Well, as I, as I just mentioned, we have uh, had available to the office additional evidence uh, that was not in the office's possession prior to my
0: time here. Oh, yes, and before I forget, uh, Cyrus Vance Jr., his predecessor, opted not to. Prosecute Trump. So what changed? Matt Colangelo Bragg hired Matt Colangelo to resurrect this zombie case because I guess Bragg was getting a heck of a lot of local pressure to indict Trump. So he brings in Matt Colangelo He was a high-ranking official in the Department of Justice that was involved with prosecuting Christians praying outside of abortion clinics while giving amnesty to abortion industry activists terrorizing Catholic churches, crisis pregnancy centers, and Supreme Court justices and families. He was a senior lawyer in New York State. While there, he bought dozens of lawsuits against the Trump administration and led investigations into into the Trump Foundation and Trump's finances. He was a senior White House economic advisor to Obama, He was a top lawyer to Obama's Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. But he never served as an online prosecutor or defense attorney. Sounds to me like he's just a political hack. And that was the new evidence. We brought in Matt Colangelo. He was going to find something. And that's the difference. And what has Jim Jordan done? Well, let me read this article from the Washington Examiner. Chairman Jim Jordan issued the request to Senior Counsel Matthew Colangelo on Friday afternoon, requesting access to all documents related to District Attorney Alan Bragg's decision to indict Trump on criminal charges earlier this week. Republicans are targeting Colangelo for his involvement in multiple investigations against Trump, claiming he was hired to help jumpstart Bragg's prosecution of the former president. Quote, According to news reports, District Attorney Alan Bragg hired you due to your history of taking on Donald J. Trump and his family business, Jordan wrote. Given your history of working for law enforcement entities that are pursuing President Trump and the public reporting surrounding your decision to work for the New York County District Attorney's Office, we request your cooperation with our oversight in your personal capacity. Colangelo was hired shortly after a slew of resignations into the district attorney's office, including Mark Pomerantz, who left due to frustrations that Bragg was reluctant to push forward with an investigation into Trump's finances. Jordan cited Pomerantz's departure as possible evidence that Colangelo was hired for political reason. Jordan wrote, the circumstances and chain of events that led to your hiring by the New York County District Attorney's Office could therefore shed light on the underlying motives for that office's investigation into the indictment of President Trump. And again, Jim Jordan is quick on the draw. And that's what has to be done today. And I'm going to play a clip which includes Jim Comer. And he's the Republican in charge of the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden investigation. And he's talking about what the repercussions are with the indictment of Donald Trump. You're gonna give it to us, we're gonna give it to you. So let's go to this clip by Comer and then we'll come back and discuss.
2: And I'll tell you one of the things that I don't think's been picked up a lot that, that's gonna be a problem. And I had two calls yesterday, one from a county attorney in Kentucky and one from a county attorney in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They they were Republican, obviously, That both states are heavily Republican. They want to know if there are ways they can go after the Bidens now. And they've opened up yeah. a can of worms. They've
0: set precedents now that we can't go back on. And we can't go back on this. Now there are Republican local prosecutors that will now go after the Bidens The Schumers, the Obamas, the Clintons. But we didn't throw the first punch. They did. We're just responding. And unfortunately, there's no going back on this. One side's going to win, and it's going to be us. Now, I just want to switch down to Tennessee. Apparently, there was an insurrection in Tennessee, which was led by two of the Tennessee legislators. And they were quickly removed from that governing body with an overwhelming vote. So apparently they led an insurrection that had to do with gun laws and they stormed the meeting. They came out with bullhorns. I'm not even going to name the two people that were tossed out. But they stormed the meeting. They took over the dais. They went into the well and with a bullhorn was chanting and making speeches against guns. And these are elected officials that sided with their insurrectionists. And I'm, I'm calling them insurrectionists because that's what people call people that disrupt meetings. But what these two legislators did was add a lie. And it's funny how the New York Times referred to this. Oh, they weren't insurrectionists. They just interrupted the meeting. Wasn't that the, what the J6 people did? Interrupt the meeting? But not when they're pro-gun control, pro-transvestite. They just interrupt meetings. They're not insurrectionists. Well, guess what? Those two legislators are out. Now the left wing is going to make a big deal because they were both African American. But at this point, nobody's listening because you've thrown the term racism and you used it so many times that it's meaningless. It's like the boy who cried wolf. Nobody listens anymore. Nobody cares. You watered down the meaning of it. And Tennessee's not backing down because all gloves are off. Now I just want to spend a minute on the government report that just came out on the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Remember that those poor soldiers were killed. We left all that equipment to the Taliban. We left dogs there. And then we responded by killing Afghanis and claiming that they were the terrorists. When in fact they weren't remember that what was all Donald Trump's fault. That was their conclusion. And should you be surprised? But I'll tell you, they got to be in a state of panic at the White House because everything is closing in on them. Everything. The economy, this craziness with transvestites or transsexuals, whatever you want to call them, a divided nation, a fiasco in Ukraine, Chinese Navy on the coast of Taiwan, East Palestine. I can go on and on. But these people are so shrill, they're just in a state of panic. And they're just throwing things out there that they know they don't believe in. But that's what you do when you're panicked. And that's what this report is. Blame Trump. His gave get out date only gave us three months to leave. And we weren't prepared. Well, guess what? You extended it for another four months. And you could have extended it again. But you weren't capable of managing anything. A military withdrawal. An economy. A country. But they're going to blame Trump. And I think there's already reports that the mainstream press is like, huh? We do you think we are, fools? But it's just a joke. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announced this week that he plans to run for president. Look, I would be concerned if I'm Biden for two reasons. One is that the Kennedy name resonates in the Democratic Party, particularly with the old school Democrats, the traditional Democrats. The other thing that the Kennedy name resonates with is with African-American, which is a key part of the Biden voting block. So it should be interesting. RFK Jr. is your old time liberal, big on the environment, has shown receipts on how he can clean up the environment, which should be positive in Democratic circles. But he's a threat to the establishment there. So let me just read uh, a comment made by RFK Jr., Last month, while he was contemplating running for president, he said, if I run, my top priority will be to end the corrupt merger between state and corporate power that has ruined our economy, shattered the middle class, polluted our landscapes and water, poisoned our children and robbed us of our values and freedoms. And what could be wrong with that? There's a lot wrong with it if you're part of the corporate media, if you're part of the radical left. If you're part of the deep state. And with that said, let me just play a clip of Jake Tapper announcing RFK Jr.'s run. And tell me if this is biased or non-biased media. So let's go to the clip and then we'll discuss.
3: This just into CNN. Anti-vaccine quack Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission to run for president as a Democrat. In launching his presidential bid, Kennedy is the latest in a long line of family members to enter politics. Uh, So far, only Marion Williamson, who last month launched her second long-shot campaign, has entered the Democratic primary against Biden. Kennedy is such a health care menace. In 2019, even his cousins wrote an op-ed criticizing his anti-science views on life-saving vaccines.
0: So Tapper gives you real insight into how the mainstream media is going to treat him. He's a quack and a menace. Didn't take him long to do that. And then I saw the reports knocking RFK Jr. saying, Oh, see, I got a picture of him with Roger Stone. I've got another picture of him with Michael Flynn. All these attacks. It's not about what he stands for. It's just he's the threat. His name is a Kennedy. He's a threat. Now also be prepared for this. I guess Teddy Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter and it didn't pan out well for Teddy. But Teddy's an entirely different animal than RFK Jr. Actually, Teddy's an entirely different animal than the rest of the Kennedy clan. JFK would have been a Republican today. RFK likely would have been a Republican today. Teddy, no. Teddy kind of went off the ranch. So they're going to try to link the similarities between... Teddy Kennedy and RFK Jr. running. And they're going to say, oh, see, it didn't work out for Teddy Kennedy. It's not going to work out well for RFK Jr. They're going to try to do that, but I think he's got legs here, and he'll certainly be a disruptor in the Democratic Party. So we shall see. And before I go, I just want to wish happy birthday to my nephew. He's 13 years old today, and he's a true American patriot, and he has a wonderful future. And I look forward to seeing him tomorrow at his birthday party. And with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I'll talk to you next Saturday.